You know, ladies and gentlemen, it wasn't that long ago that the Venture Brothers wrapped up its most recent seventh season. And it won't be that much farther on a cosmological time frame before we get season eight. But there's a whole lot to go through. And tonight, you are going to experience what we are calling the learning bed. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Conjectural Technologies, a Venture Brothers podcast. And tonight, in what was conceptually going to be called Venture Home News, but we've decided it's going to be called The Learning Bed, because tonight, you's going to get you some knowledge. We're going to be dropping science like Galileo dropped the orange. We are going. Do you, do you hear that? All. <laughs> do you hear that? That's a bell because you're about to get schooled. <laughs> <laughs> I am your host, Brock Savage. With me, as always, is my longtime companion, Beast Lamode, and our newest addition, our long lost cousin of Robobo, Robobo. Hiya, folks. That was downright chipper, Robobob. It sounds like you are excited about today's episode. He just had his oil changed. (laughs) That's what I've called it, too. (laughs) (laughs) So, in today's episode, which is going to be a little bit of a departure for those who've been listening to uh, our previous episodes, um, we are going to be doing a more comprehensive in-scope I don't want to call it a deep dive because we are skimming so much, but we're getting key curated bits. And Beast, I was wondering if you could tell our fantastic listeners what is in store for them tonight. So, you know, the idea of the learning bed is to cover the the broad strokes that we can't really get into in the deep dives, right? And there's just so much. It's a it's a cornucopia of pop culture. Um, a cornucopia. <laughs> yes, I, uh, I, I I found some seventh grade like papers I wrote, and uh, yeah, I've been w- waiting to bust that out all day. Anyway, <laughs> oh, dude, that's like climbing it. It's like, hey, we got to go get in the V chickle, <laughs> right? So yeah, it, it's really just you know a lot of broadness that we can't really cover um, because again, you Speaking know, speaking of broadness, have you ever had to perform the Hyman maneuver? <laughs> the, the high maneuver maneuver um, maneuver but yeah no uh like this episode is all about you know comics 
And the thing about this episode and like many segments of Learning Bed, uh, you know, we're going to have multiple segments. So we're not going to get to everything about, you know, all the comic book influences and references um, of the Venture Brothers just because, I mean, I said there's too many. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's a metric fuck ton. I was going to say, like, there's eight of them. (laughs) At least (laughs) there are exactly eight. Yeah, it's not like so an imperial problem by any means. Right. So here's what this is going to boil down to. We are going to be running through some of our favorite comic book references featured in the Venture Brothers across all seasons in what we are calling Comics 101. Or is it just Comics 1? I thought it was Comics, com- I don't I know. It it was comics on- Lull. that makes me want to lol out loud uh all right so to go ahead and get get us kicked off um one of my favorite references uh immediately out of the gate and um you know it's an episode i will go back to watch just because it has um the same rewatchability as christmas vacation like it's just endless right uh the grand galactic inquisitor Ignore me! Um, So, being a big Marvel fan, and I'm going to go ahead and give this disclaimer right up front. Um, Brock and I are very much Marvel Comics guys. We know a little bit about DC. Like, you know, I got to love for the bat. Um, You know, uh, Robo Bob is a little bit more into comics with an X, um, as they used to do in the 80s to make everything sound edgy. Um, right. you know, he's definitely a little bit more into stuff like Flaming Carrot and, you know, uh, The Tick, uh, which, you know, very much, you know, has a heavy influence on, on, uh, Venture Brothers. So most of what we're going to be covering today, I feel like is going to be in that independent and Marvel category. Uh, I do have some DC references, but anyway, there are some heavy DC references too. And, uh, it, as I understand, um, Actually, you know what? We'll get into this in just a moment. Hit me with the Galactic Inquisitor. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, Grand Galactic Inquisitor is a reference to uh, a lot of the like artistic style of Jack Kirby. Um, and he's meant to be this weird, lovely cross-section of the marble-like cosmic tier of, of you know, whatever is above gods, right? Um, so he's kind of like this hash of the Celestials, the Living Tribunal, and The Watcher, you know. uh... Now, for those of you who may not be terribly familiar with comic books, uh, The Watcher is a figure who shows up in a whole bunch of comics, and his job is just to watch. He is the voyeur of the Marvel Universe. They are essentially recording everything that is taking place in the Marvel Universe, and they show up for big important things like Galactus is about to eat your planet. I think you get a watcher, right? Right. Like you're about to snap an infinity gauntlet. There's probably going to be a watcher nearby. Well, like, and if you've um, seen guardians of the galaxy two all the way through um, <laughs> right. the Stanley cameo at the end is him sitting, recounting all of his other cameos to the watchers as if he is a watcher himself. Um, which which is, was brilliant. Yeah. It was so good. Well, and that was born of uh, online fan theory. Like, James Gunn was like, I like that. Yes, please. I'll have that. Um, 
So, yeah, that's, you know, uh, the Grand Galactic Inquisitor kind of represents all of these, you know, kind of elements of the, the Marvel, like, you know, cosmic uh, side of things. Um, and then, of course, like, you know, you move on and they have stuff that hits all the ranges, right? So you have different spheres. You have, you know, your magic sphere. You have your super science, superhero sphere. You have your cosmic sphere of things. Um, and so you'll notice a lot of those heroes kind of plucking from those things and sometimes being a hash. Like uh, one of the things that kind of gets mashed up together in later on in season seven, Night Dick. Night Dick is a mashup of <laughs> Will Eisner's The Spirit and Ghost Rider. <laughs> now, uh, I actually have taken a quick look. And like it, Jack Kirby is one of those names that gets thrown out a lot. But I don't know that a lot of people truly understand the impact that this man had. Yes, he created Galactus. Yes, he created the Eternals. He also created Darkseid. He also created Magneto. He created the Human Torch. Like the Celestials, he created them. He's also responsible for the Daily Bugle. And Devil Dinosaur. And the Hulk. And Nick Fury. Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange, the new gods. Right? Like, wow. He's a juggernaut. He created Juggernaut. He created Iron Man, the Invisible Woman. Like, he created a ton of stuff. And you'll see a lot of these references, these characters keep showing up. He created Bucky. Well, and not only did was like, you know, the, the character creation. But very much like, you know, his visual style um, has a direct impact on on a lot of the comic book elements of the show. Um, And that's Mm -hmm. a big deal. Oh, it was super psychedelic. I'm I'm noticing with the Galactic Inquisitor, like the headgear is very similar to Galactus. Yes, it is. uh, Mm -hmm. Well, and also, to be fair, uh, that headgear is actually pretty common among Celestials also uh like i i I don't know what it is about having like this big fanning headgear like i guess once you are literally devouring planets there's nobody who can make fun of like the kinds of hats you wear like (laughs) you know one thing that i didn't put together until just now was how similar the celestials are to the original iron man suit I didn't put that together until just now. Like, if you took the original Iron Man suit and kind of crossed it with Darkseid, that's a Celestial. That's actually a really good way of describing that. I like that a lot. Galactus, his little head horns. Okay, yeah, that's that's a thing. (laughs) (laughs) You know what would be great on this comic book character? LSD. (laughs) Well, and uh, in... Was it... uh, marvel comics untold uh don't don't check me like i'm i'm it's been a while since i've read this book come at me bro right (laughs) i think it's it's the true story of marvel comics like the untold story um they talk about doing lsd while they're drawing dr strange um which immediately like you're like oh okay yeah no that makes sense um (laughs) dr strange is easily the most psychedelic of all the characters which is kind of saying a lot. I mean, you can see why he was so popular in the like 60s and 70s. And like, you know, it's one of those things that I really appreciated when they did the Doctor Strange movie, 
about how they just embraced those fractals, brother. They're like they went in hard on the fractals. I was like, yep, that makes perfect sense. You have obviously spent some time with DMT. Dude, and one thing, okay, since we're talking about Doctor Strange, you can't talk about Doctor Strange without talking about Doctor O, Doctor Orpheus. Um, so Doc Hammer is a huge fan of Doctor Strange. Uh, you know, um, in fact, that's where he took his name from. I'm making that up. That's <laughs> um, but now, I mean, you know, he he's a superhero. He hangs out in Greenwich Village, like that's where his you know house is, right, um, on Bleecker Street. But like, uh, no, the whole premise of Doctor Orpheus is like he's this kind of. Uh, you know, past his prime Doctor Strange. Mm -hmm. um, so this is the Doctor Strange that like, you know, he's tripped out way too hard. Not necessarily too hard that it's affected him, but he's toning it down in life. You know, he's got his responsibilities. But then, you know... You know what the... Well, and then there's notably so, the episode later on where he does the uh, ayahuasca. So you know he's got a party yeah. streak in him. Like, he's yeah. doing the mystical stuff <laughs> to, to see the face of God. You know man. what? Doctor Strange is Led Zeppelin and Dr. Orpheus is like the band that opened for Led Zeppelin at the beginning, but never made it big. Oh no, no. Thor is Led Zeppelin. I saw Ragnarok. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I get what you're saying. So Dr. Orpheus is an amazing character, owes a great debt to uh, Dr. Strange. One of, uh, one of the most fun characters uh, in the Marvel Universe, so psychedelic. And uh, another, if I'm not mistaken, uh, opportunity for us to bounce to additional characters created by Jack Kirby who have shown up in some way or another. And this reminds me of Dr. Impossible. <laughs> Mr. Impossible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I, the, the Impossibles and, have such a sincere place in my heart. <laughs> and actually, so you know what, Beast? Here's the thing. So you actually caught this episode when it aired before I did, because we talked about it the next day. And you called me laughing your butt off about the Fantastic Four analog. And you were like, no, no, no. Just imagine. Do you remember this conversation? Man, I, I... You called me. It, it, I was in that freaking basement apartment, right? And you called me. And I think this is when you still had a landline, right? And you were at your mom's house and you called me and you were trying to explain to me what, like it was the Fantastic Four, but gone horribly wrong in the most literal way possible. Whereas oh, like, yeah. okay, Mr. Fantastic's, you know, analog, Mr. Impossible essentially does the same thing, but like he is jealous vindictive uh controlling and <laughs> the invisible woman sally when she turns invisible it she doesn't turn completely invisible just her skin turns invisible which means all you can see is the underlying muscle tissue and all of her insides how gross would that be and it happens when she's excited so if you're like making out things are getting kind of hot and heavy and you're like look deep into my eyes look deep into my face listen and we don't mean like, to kink shame any of our serial killer listeners out there um <laughs> you know just to be clear about that like that that's not us we don't yuck anybody's yums. 
So, right. They, you know what? Thank well, you. Thanks for that. Yep. Um, the Human Torch analog is actually closer to the original Human Torch featured in Marvel Comics Jim number Hammond. one. In that, yeah, in that the Human Torch catches fire any time he's exposed to oxygen and it hurts. <laughs> And that's when I died. Like, that was the moment in the episode, like, it yeah. was over. Like, okay, work distant, you know, Richard. Actually, Richard Impossible showed me exactly how bad of a husband Mr. Fantastic really is as a character. <laughs> you know, and, and then just the, okay, just the skin going bad. But then it was, like, the smash cut of, like, the human torch, like, getting exposed to oxygen. And like Dean freaking out, like, what is going on? Like they thought they were helping this guy. <laughs> and then Ned, poor Ned. <laughs> poor Ned. Oh. Oh. Ice cream. There are so many, like, you go to some of these early episodes. So if you've watched anything on Disney Plus, right? There are some movies, including the early ones with uh, Kurt Russell, right? Where, like, the computer wore tennis shoes. Um, Where it says, you know, this film is being shown as it was originally presented. There may be some outdated cultural depictions. And you can find some of that in the early episodes of The Venture Brothers when they're talking about poor Ned. Well, and they totally, (laughs) like, you know, address that later on, like... Uh, when the monarch steps up to to Arch Jonas Jr. and like you know Jonas Jr. is doing his Voltron thing with the Impossible Family <laughs> and <Right>. Pirate Captain, <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's got the ice cream, <laughs> ice cream cone. Yeah, and and like you know the monarch drops the R word and it's like no 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 that's no no word. He like Ned interrupts the arching. He's like no no word. And Jonas is like, that's right. That is a no-no word. So there is, you know, an evolution of, of uh, social sophistication here. Like, you know, Venture Brothers keeps up with the future. <laughs> Making the future while you watch. And the future is so wow. Oh, dude. And of course, Ned is a human carbuncle. <laughs> like, I, I forget what the exact description I, of it was. His, his callous skin is three inches thick. Yeah, he, he's like a human dude, callus. Like, dude, yeah. Man, if he ever gets a girlfriend, like, she is in for a very special experience. Well, and uh, the one episode, the, the 20 minutes to midnight, where you encounter the impossibles the second time you see the fallout from ice station impossible and a grand galactic Mm -hmm. inquisitor is watching all of this and then like Mm -hmm. they've all abandoned this baby (laughs) 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 is is somebody left a baby (laughs) (laughs) and i love the idea of like one of my favorite things in comics is galactus getting to the moon about to devour the earth and uh, squirrel girl meeting him on the moon and be like, listen, you're not hungry. You're just eating your feelings. <laughs> <laughs> and this was very much like the venture Bur- venture brothers version of that moment where like the grand galactic prisoners, like you left a baby, like whose baby is this? And th- I think that that's the moment 
you know, he makes the judgment there. <laughs> yeah. On, on that criterion, humanity right. is judged. And it's, yeah. uh, you know, fitting that the uh, Impossibles would totally show up in the, the Grand Galactic Inquisitor episode because Galactus is very much, you know, I would say the only arch nemesis Galactus has is probably Reed Richards in any, you know, palatable sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, again, the, you know, the parody there is nice. That in seconds. Yeah. You know, one of the other things that uh, we kind of chatted about, and this leads us into a good opportunity to talk about uh, an episode in season four, where we get to follow a comic book itself throughout its life cycle. Blood of the Father, was it Blood of the Father, Heart of Steel? The Heart of Steel, yeah. That, that's the one where Brock gets helper removed from his chest. Uh, that's the one where Nazis want him, want Doc to clone uh, another Hitler using dog Hitler. Every <laughs> sense of the <laughs> Iron Man, everybody wants a robot heart. Hitler loves me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ever since Iron Man, everybody wants a robot heart. Why do you want this out? Yeah. He's like, and what makes you think I want to kill you while you're out? Him. <laughs> and he puts a grenade in Helper's right. mouth. Um, no, that was a, a great episode. Um, and really, uh, if you don't know anything about CGC ratings, you will learn in that episode. <laughs> right. <laughs> you will have it been schooled. Just, and it was just painful to watch this thing, this, this comic that was, what was it? $500,000? Yeah. It was a 9.6 CGC rating. Yeah. Oh, that's Jim, man. And, uh, <laughs> that's, that's really close to Jim. Yeah. Man. <laughs> Um, and I just I love Gary's like honest indignity. Like this was a family relic. <laughs> like, and yeah. okay, so the episodes told out of order, um, and I, I really thought that that was a lot of fun because when you realize like Gary's upset about something, but then uh, you know it cuts out of order to later on where like uh, they're chastising Dog Hitler with the comic, <laughs> and he's like, uh, "What comic book is that?" <laughs> like. No, I think he's picking up the dog poop with it at that point. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it, like, actually, watching Doc's reaction, so when Gary presents it to him, and watching Doc's reaction, he's like, this is only worth 10 cents! It, this isn't a big deal. Who's Kazar the Incredible? <laughs> right? I've never heard of these people. Yeah, no, uh, this to me is one of the... Um... 12 pages of jungle one of the most irrevocable doc moments and this is just personally to me like you know he's an awful human being on every level but this is when uh like he crossed my line (laughs) (laughs) well you know i mean he went out and had the adventures and he had a tv show made after him so, like, you know what? They anything. had a Thundar lead in, but they just couldn't not pull the numbers. It... All right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it doesn't mean anything to him because it's not about him. If that were a Rusty Venture number one, he would have been thrilled. Right. Right. So, uh, that and that whole episode is a good uh, depiction of the different ways that comics can intervene in these stories. And we've gotten bits and pieces from almost the very beginning. Uh, you know, the outfits that the boys wear when they go to bed. 
You know, oh, yeah. What is Hank's great obsession? What ruins their Halloween themes every year? <laughs> the bat. Oh, yeah. What saved them in the jungles of South America? The bat. <laughs> the bat. <laughs> no, what... <laughs> And what has been used, what word or what superhero name has been used as an adjective? And that's not very bad right, at all. Like, right. Um, and I love Hank's obsession with Batman. And uh, fun fact, all right, so that mask and costume setup is based on, and I'm sure you guys recognize it, but it's based on a very real, oh, yeah. like, Batman mask and costume. Like, it's in Astro Base Go. Like they bought it for reference modeling, you know, for the the episode. And really, I mean, it's it's kind of a bygone era. I was on the, the tail end of that era. Uh, I was Batman every year for Halloween from the ages of four to nine. Um, and that like Batman costume, the reproduction of it, because I want to say the version he had was more of a 70s version um, that kind of mimicked like the yep. uh, what was going on in the comics at the time. Um, it wasn't the Adam West one. Yep. And then when Batman 89 came out, uh, I got like the the revival version of that costume. But it still came with like the plastic jumper. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it, oh, dude. And, and it, like you, you, I remember these costumes. Like I remember them so clearly. I remember putting a towel around my neck, grabbing this plastic mask and pretending I wasn't upset about having to play Batman instead of being able to play Superman. Whoa, 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 whoa. Because Superman was way more powerful than Batman. Now, dude, this was before the Dark Knight Returns had come out. Like, and plus, <laughs> I, I love the way you're like, no, no, listen. I was right? young. I was dumb. I didn't know any better. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Right. All I knew, well, and plus, like the Superman movies have been out. All I really knew about Batman at that point was that I didn't enjoy the TV show. Oh. Right? Like, I, I was, what, four or five? And, like, Superman was way cooler because Superman movies had come out. Those were on TV by that point. Right? Right. You know, right. if your neighbor had HBO, you could catch one. <laughs> yeah. That was a big deal. Like, I had Superman books, I didn't have any. Uh, Batman fun fact books. about me. What kid wants to... <laughs> I actually went in to my uh, seventh grade science teacher, Miss McKinnon, um, and asked her if you could... No, not seventh grade. I'm sorry. I wasn't quite that old. I was fifth grade. Miss McKinnon. I was 10 years old. And I asked her if somebody flew around the planet backwards, if that would reverse time. Like... That was a legit question wow. I had. <laughs> now, what did you She looked me? at me. Now, wait, wait, wait. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Before you give this answer, I feel like we should give a little background on where you grew <laughs> up. All right. Um, so for those of you who may not know, in southeastern North Carolina, there is a little town called Wilmington. Uh, it has been through a variety of names, including Newtown, Newton, New Liverpool, uh, a variety of things. But eventually they settled on Wilmington after the Earl of Wilmington or, uh, or Spencer Compton, right? The Earl of Wilmington. And on the other side of the Cape Fear River from Wilmington, North Carolina, there is a little town called. Lee. And then 
and a little bit farther outside, outside of, that, of town, that town to the to the aptly named northwest of Leland is the town of Northwest. And that, that's where I, I grew yeah. up. Um, and that being said, uh, that's still like, you know what? I might have asked about if, you know, I, I didn't understand, you know, the the chrono mechanics of Superman movies or like, you know, how how space time actually functioned in reality. But at least I was a Batman fan. <laughs> hey, man, you got that going for you. It, I, you know, I actually have to admit that as I have gotten to be a more astute reader of comics, Batman is by far the cooler and more interesting hero. Like the hardest thing about Superman is how do you make him interesting and how do you make his story compelling? Because like when you are that powerful, what is it that can be a legitimate challenge for you right at that point it's all internal challenges he's kind of the original mary sue yes he is like infinitely overpowered i mean that's that's a very astute robobob and actually while we're on the topic of of you know batman v superman or batman slash superman uh you know there is captain Uh, sunshine Sunshine. uh, voiced by (laughs) kevin conroy <laughs> Someone asked, why can't we have both? And Doc and <laughs> Man, and the fact that they got Kevin Conroy to voice him, it thrilled my heart Dude, so damn I, hard. Uh, I like, want the giant monarch penny <laughs> in, in the Captain Sunshine game. <laughs> so uh, we need to give a little description on who uh, Captain Sunshine is. Are, are you up to the task? Uh, <laughs> um, it's like one of those. Uh, do we? It it kind of touches the same boundaries of good taste. Uh, that that. Uh, oh, it touches a lot of boundaries. <laughs> like the boundaries of good taste that. Uh, you know what? I'll just say him and hatred are attending a lot of the same support group meetings. <laughs> Perhaps. Um. But no, like, so he's he's a news anchor by day. Um, and then, of course, you know, billionaire playboy, crime fighter by night, uh, giant <laughs> powered by, by the sun. The sun. His uh, cape is a rainbow. Um, it almost has like a, a Joseph and Technicolor dreamcoat quality to it. <laughs> um, he's wearing, you know, the domino mask, um, hair pulled back, uh, you know, bright white suit, you know, um, they really modeled him more, his look, I guess, more on Superman and then whatever the super opposite of Batman was. They were like, all right, so let's, yeah, super let's melt opposite. Batman and Superman, except for, like, we can't do any of the black stuff. Like, whatever. Like, it's all just white. Like, replace his black, like, rubber and latex with white spandex and we're good. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, there were a couple of things that were so stand out. Like as soon as we get introduced to Captain Sunshine, he comes in and he's using his sunshine radiation to give the monarch and Dr. Mrs. The Monarch sunburns. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like I'm using the power of the sun. Ah, stop it. <laughs> right. Uh, and giving them, giving them sunburns. He takes Hank up. They're flying through the air. 
just like that scene from Superman the movie where uh, Clark Kent, Superman, is flying with Lois Lane, arms outstretched, this beautiful, magical moment. And the questions just start getting really weird. And he's like, so, you know, you like me, don't you? They started you? getting weird, <laughs> like the same, like that scene in uh, the cockpit of Airplane. Like, hey, Hank, how do you feel about <laughs> gladiator movies? <laughs> right. <laughs> Roger, Roger. Do you like gladiator? <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh, dude, and the weirdest part of the whole thing was the butler was like, uh, Vaseline, sir. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Suggested I... application is to the inner thighs and buttocks. When that scene went down the first time I was watching, I was like, there is no way they're going here, right? And then, of course, like before that scene ends, you're like, all right, have a good night. Just kidding. Slumber party. You're like, oh, <laughs> no. Yeah. I, I, and the. I, one thing I love about Venture Brothers is a is a term that you have coined for me, like the subversion of expectation. So they've set up this clearly awful expectation. And then later on during this, like, <laughs> you know, confrontation with like him and the monarch and like Venture gets there, like it's a whole, you know, thing. Uh, you know, Hank comes sliding down the chute in the costume. He's like, oh, yeah, no, the, the Vaseline <laughs> really helped with that. <laughs> <laughs> that same joke pays off at the end of the episode oh, okay yes. because we haven't even gotten to wonder boy yet who is clearly the jason todd boy wonder okay who has been murdered by the monarch when he was upset because sheila broke up with him he was like i'm just gonna go murder this <laughs> child okay wonder boy dies Oh, and I think I think he's murdered. I think that's the moment that Gary is referencing later. He's like, I've seen a giant penny roll over a man or roll over a boy yeah. in a rainbow costume, <laughs> right? Yep. It was yep. that giant penny that killed Wonder Boy, the one with the monarch's face on it, right? And so it's uh, you've got this like deep pathos in Captain Sunshine, so much so that like when he's at his night job, so to speak, right? Doing the evening news, when he re realizes that the monarch is going to his house, uh, that's when he like freaks out. He's like, Wonder Boy! And races to go try and save the new Wonder Boy, Hank. Uh, also, can we pause for just a moment to reflect on his super team? Because we get introduced to them pretty early on in the episode. And then we find out it's the entire news Oh, dude, team. Ghost Robot. Yeah, <laughs> with, <laughs> Ghost with was, was he sports or weather? I think he was uh, weather. Yeah, he was weather. He was weather bot five. <laughs> weather bot five. I, I should know that because we're probably. Related. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? Tell Bender I said hi. <laughs> so come to find out, I, I checked this out. Um, the uh, the Super Gang, right? Yeah. They reference a DC comic called Freedom Fighters, yep. right? So this is during the Handsome Ransom, Ransom episode. Uh, they are referenced to the Freedom Fighters. Um, they didn't have a, a, a Batman or Superman figure per se, but they did have a guy dressed like Uncle Sam. 
They had a Superman-ish analog. Uh, they did have the Ray, right? Mm. Um, they did have, uh, <laughs> um, the, yeah, that guy was like the human bomb, I think is what he was called. Um, and of course, Weatherbot 5 is, uh, is represented as well. But, you know, uh, what was the USA guy's name? U.S. Steel. Yeah. U.S. Steel. Wow. That is a, man, that is a deep industrial. Oh, dude, that is a straight up, I'm going to call it, that is a Ben Edland, like, style superhero name. Yeah, I mean, that would, you, you could almost hear that, you know, U.S. Steel fights Apocalypse Cow. (laughs) (laughs) um well okay yeah so we've talked about a lot of what they've been doing right in comic book stuff i want to talk about one little thing that i feel like they've done a little wrong um i'm a huge dr doom uh fan um we've talked about like my aspirations uh for arch villainy like i've got my arch picked out I'm studying under like the tutelage of doom via comic books. Um, and so his representation in venture brothers uh, was Baron underbite and they narfed like they, they just narfed that character so hard. And they even talk about it in the uh, you know, in the commentaries and stuff like really the only thing he's got is that jaw thing. And then it's really gross. <laughs> like after his jaw shoots off. It's yeah. Just, like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, I'm glad that they brought him back with the Revenge Society. That was great. I was a little sad they didn't go with the Violet Hour. Um, but no, I mean, right. uh, like, if they were going to do a Doctor Doom reference, like, why can't the world just get Doctor Doom right? You don't have to change a whole lot about him. So, yeah, but this is the Venture Brothers. There are very few people that they haven't changed. Actually, one of the ones that they didn't change much at all was King Gorilla. They just made him more of like a dude who just happens to be a gorilla instead of Gorilla Grodd, who is just like this psychic beast. You know what I mean? Like, they didn't do a whole lot to King Gorilla other than kill Well, and, and Gorilla <laughs> Grodd actually gets state. like two references. Um, later on, when uh, Wes Warhammer and the Doom Factory show up, uh, there's Gerard the Gorilla, um, who's also a uh, a Grodd reference. Uh-huh. Well, and also yeah. Grodd, like the the King Gorilla, gave us that sweet line about like you know uh, when he's when he's dying of cancer, and Monarch's like he looks like he's wearing David Byrne's Stop Making Sense suit. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's one of my favorite references in the whole show. <laughs> Dude, let, let's be honest, though. This whole show is like super post-punk, right? Okay. If it, you, you just drop David Byrne, I know this is something you're really interested in. Like, this is not a music episode. That Those are coming up very soon. Uh, I would love to talk about the music references. And if God has any love, for me and his heart, we will get the opportunity to speak to J.G. Thorwell himself. But we will have to wait. Email's pending. We will um, see what happens. Also, uh... But let's talk about what it is about this whole show 
that has really embraced post-punk in that it is both high and low art simultaneously and that it has completely dissolved the notion of the difference between these no, I mean, absolutely. Um, and what I love about the Venture Brothers is how it folds um, one into the other, right? Like the Guild of Glamitous Intent, you know, was founded by retired rock stars, right? And so, <laughs> you know, as things go on, you know, as, as like, you know, the, the new waves come in and out, like, you know, you have your, your you know, even more post-punk representative stuff, right? Like uh, one of my favorite things about um, season seven as a whole, uh, Red Death. Red Death and, dude, amazing oh, yeah. character and his like, you know, being the senior statesman of the guild, right? And like, you know, you get to kind of hear his little stories about like, you know, the, like going to movie night, but like uh, when they were doing the movie <laughs> night thing, like at the table, like the references, they were great. You had essentially like, and I'm, I'm you know, using their, their parody, ver like their parody, P-A-R-I-T-Y, parody, not parody. They're, they're parody. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you have, you know, Red Death. Mr. Yeah, yeah. Mr. You have Fahrenheit. Red Death sitting there with Freddie Mercury, Tank Girl, the comedian. Uh, who else was at the table? I mean, and those were just the ones that like I immediately like stand out. Like finally getting a Watchmen reference just felt so good. And like Laugh <laughs> Riot <laughs> as the comedian. <laughs> <laughs> right um and tank girl it was cool to see tank girl um pop in and that even dabbles a little bit on touching on the gorillas mythos right like jamie hewlett uh, uh -huh. is the uh visual portion of the gorillas and he was the, the guy who created tank girl um he did tank girl and he yeah. was kicking it in an apartment with uh you know the lead singer from blur damon alburn and they were like let's do a thing tv sucks let's make something we want to watch <laughs> right <laughs> three right. years later um so yeah no the 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 post-punk thing is actually super you know relevant to the the comic books thing in terms of like you know thematic uh continuity i mean if there were people who are the arch villains of their time it's you know early stage rock and rollers like you know those guys are playing guitars hitting notes they're shaking their hips. Look at what they're doing to women, you know? And then you have like, you know, the, you know, post the punk and post punk scene come through. And it's like, that's not music. They're just playing the same three chords over and over again. Like, you know, uh, these people were the villains of their time and venture brothers has put them appropriately in their cultural bins here. You know what is so ironic to me? And again, I know this is not a music episode, uh, but it is so interesting, especially how, uh, deeply prog rock works its way into the Venture Brothers. But a lot of the people who for years have been ragging on how seriously prog rock took itself idolized the post-punk guys without realizing they're essentially the same darn right. ethos. Oh. How dare you get so uppity? Let's be uppity <laughs> over this way. Like, it's just like, <laughs> are, are you kidding me? Is it just the wrong kind of uppity because your dad thought it was cool? Like, I'm sorry. There's a lot of stuff my dad thought was cool that is still freaking awesome. 
There's a whole lot of stuff I think is cool that my kids are going to hate one day. And that's their problem. <laughs> uh, not me. Like, um, if my kids uh, don't like something that I enjoy, I shock them with a taser. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I have an electric fence set up around every room of the house and I can activate and deactivate when it goes off. It's really more of a, a training <laughs> technique. Wow. Um, you know, I find if your kid doesn't like something, just keep playing it. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, hey, it worked with uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Isn't that right? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> what do your kids yell at each other? Yeah, now? yeah. And my clones, clones, when they, they play fight, they yell like, you know, I'll get you, Miss Theos. And like, oh, that's Malacca. Um, which, if you know what Malacca <laughs> means, uh, yeah. You're a bad person. <laughs> Or Greek. Uh, not to say all Greeks are bad people. Jason, you, you were just in Greece. Come on. I, I know. I love I love it. I love it. No, so the musical, I, not the country. The first time I, as an English speaker, was introduced to the concept of Malacca, I was like, wait, there's a word for that? And then I like understanding Greek culture a little bit, it makes a lot more sense because if someone's going to be spending all their time doing that instead of engaging in the polis, then yeah, you kind of, that's a good <laughs> word. Like it, it has, there are some deep cultural connotations that are very difficult to explain, but the more you understand about the culture, the more sense it makes, which is what this comics episode about the Venture Brothers is attempting to do to help reveal some of the elements about comics and comic culture that have worked their way into the show in the hopes that you are going to get more out of it. Or maybe- just put more in, like Warina. Or Wariana. Wariana. And her lasso of truth. Warriana. Brutal, honest, but truth. Yeah. <laughs> Brock's a liberated 21st century man. You know, driving his green car. Yes. You know, enjoying he is. his, uh, let's call it International Women's Day. <laughs> yes. There he is go. enjoying some International Women's Day with Wariana. Now, uh, there are a couple of things about this that I just absolutely was thrilled by. Like all the characters that show up, and this was season six or season seven with why uh, the, they show up uh, to help defeat wide whale. I thought it was season seven. Okay. Um, so this whole team, right? Stars and garters, the captain called, America, the crusaders action league. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so Warriana is a wonder woman analog. But you'll notice she only has one breast, right? And like a true Amazon. Like a true Amazon, supposedly. I'm oh, sorry. Let me me let me change this uh, so that my parents will understand this reference. Supposedly, <laughs> uh, the Amazonians, the women, were so committed to battle that they would remove one of their breasts so that they could shoot an arrow better. So that they could draw their bow further and shoot an arrow better. Uh, and of course, the, the Amazons were probably based on the Scythians. And from what we can tell of their archaeological records, like, yeah, they, they, they were down for some fighting, man. Uh, and they were also down with some head binding, if I remember correctly. Like, they had, like some of the skeletons that they've pulled up. Uh, I think the South Americans did the same thing, too, where they, like, shaped children's heads when they were young and malleable with boards uh, to try and like extend them a little bit like it was it's, it's well unique. and my favorite part about uh that whole situation is actually Warriana's uh arch think tank 
uh, the analog for Modog, Modoc. Right. Um, and I Modoc. love that, like, yeah. it's Cornell West as Modoc <laughs> teaching philosophy. Yeah. And, like, the things he says to the college students is just, it's great. Like, yes, go off to your, you know, days of endless bong rips and date rapery and. <laughs> <laughs> like uh and, and uh, like i love that he bursts in and he's assuming dr venture is going to give him like the intellectual battle of wits over a game of chess and docs is just like a disappointment on every front <laughs> he's like checkers <laughs> like, <laughs> and if you play chess and like if you're a person who does that and somebody offers you checkers you know how like intellectually offensive that is to you i mean i'm not like an ace chess player but it's like yeah i want to sit down and play chess it's like yeah checkers i'm like what that's not no 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 <laughs> um it's like you know what's gonna settle this right? tic tac toe <laughs> uh also one of my favorites um out of that kind of uh gaggle of of characters uh the fallen archer the fallen archer. Yes. I knew, I knew you were gonna whip out the fallen archer. I know well, I how like... you feel about Hawkeye. I know how you feel about Green Arrow, because uh, Hawkeye and Green Arrow both. Uh, there are some deep, and deep comic. I have plantar fasciitis, uh, so <laughs> it, it's really right. hitting me on a lot of levels there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so are you going to get us with some <laughs> So yeah, uh, he, he's this splendid mashup. He's wearing the, the domino mask from, from Green Arrow. He's wearing purple, but it's a hood, like Green Arrow Hawkeye mashup. But his gag, like all of his arrows seem to be gag arrows based on feet. <laughs> like his, his archery quiver right. looks like some weird Quentin Tarantino, like fetish bag, like. <laughs> like, with the uh, yeah i mean it's just it was one of those like and when he says his name like from the fallen arch i'm like oh that's why the, the feet like you guys yeah well and of course that's uh you know like all right you know i actually interpreted their take on him kind of like the ninja turtles were to daredevil right so who is, like, the Ninja Turtles are a complete homage to Daredevil. How is it that Matt Murdock gets his powers? Right? The truck almost hits him. Right? And then there's that, the, the, the ooze that falls out of the back of the truck. The, in the first panels, when you see that happen in the Ninja Turtles comic, it's actually Matt Murdock in that as a kid. The truck almost hits him. The ooze falls. Yeah, they, they implies that the it's, a, it's an Alchemex truck. Yeah. Who is the main ninja foe of Daredevil? The hand. And who is the ah, main ninja foe? I of... see where you're going with this. <laughs> so uh, okay. instead of the boxing glove arrow, you're gonna have instead of the hand arrow, you're gonna have the Well foot and while we're talking about the Crusaders Action League and you know, going back to Stars and Garters. Obviously, can't. Obviously, <laughs> Captain America. Uh, he's also, I think, a favorite, like a reference to one of my favorite X Men. That's actually a line from uh, from Beast. Uh, Hank McCoy 
you know, Oh My Stars and Garters. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's mm-hmm. also well, Tosh Tompkins, bully to Jared, a.k.a. the Brown Widow. When, yeah. and like, there's a lot of, like, let's yeah. talk a little bit about, like, the repression of Tosh Tompkins real quick. So he's a military <laughs> history teacher who doesn't care about this pansy philosophy stuff, right? Like, makes it known. Um, so wait a minute. Like, I, did, I just realized this. He's arching a coworker, and he knows it? <laughs> yeah, Does like, he he's singing there yes, with the guitar. Like, music therapy helps, remember? <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> oh jeez. Uh, wait a minute it, uh, how many of our listeners have had the opportunity to arch a co-worker like is this how it actually goes I've never arched anyone uh, I, I have had someone try to arch me unsuccessfully uh, but I have never arched anyone so I don't know that I can speak to this with any level of detail but is it just a matter of just like rub your nose in it whenever you can as in public as you possibly can? Well, uh, talking to somebody who will occasionally arch the odd person. Um, currently I'm arching Rob Liefeld on Twitter. Um, <laughs> but we'll go into that much later, <laughs> oh. <laughs> but yeah, no, really it's more, <laughs> it's not that I want harm to come to Rob Liefeld. It's just, I want to be the one to hurt his feelings. <laughs> Um, why? Dude, be careful, because if you keep this up, comeuppance is going no, no, to be No, no, absolutely. And, and why? Why do you ask would I devote time and energy to this thing? Uh, mostly because I'm bored and, like, there's nothing else to do. Like, I'm not, <laughs> you know, I don't take it too seriously, obviously. <laughs> um, you know, and obviously I'm, I'm not important. This man has made millions of dollars. He sold a Deadpool movie. Like, I mean, I'm sure he didn't sell it, but yeah, two of them. But <laughs> two he, of them. he's made a lot of kickback off that. I am so small potatoes. I am Sri Lankan devil bird to venture industries right now. Like, that's that's <laughs> my relationship to arching Rob Liefeld. Um, <laughs> oh, no. You're just going to. Like metaphorically, I'm just I'm metaphorically going to drive into his Twitter feed and my beat up old sedan and like start doing donuts on the yeah, lawn. Yeah, no, I, I, I occasionally out. pop into his Twitter feed and say terrible things about pockets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah no, and like I, I, we were talking about I beat him up on, on proportionality a lot. Like, <laughs> look, and one of the things, can, can we just cut no. him a little slack? When your formative years were in the 80s, you have a special relationship to Cardinal You know, bodies. like, on the... No, I have a special relationship to strappy things. Like, <laughs> the X-Men, like, the... Wariana has got your number. But, like, the X-Men were more about straps <laughs> than pouches. X-Force is where all the pouches went. The future is pouches in, in the mutant world. <sighs> It's really easy to add stuff on there. And I got to tell you, I guess from a from a an artist's perspective, are pouches easier to draw than feet? Well, I mean, if you're a good artist, no. <laughs> I would think that they would be a little bit more complex, right? But they are more regular. Uh, oh, a pouch is, is basically a, a bag or kind of a box with a pocket on top, right? 
or like a little lip from a yeah. pocket on top. I mean, you are our resident. Come at all those crazy angles, and heaven forbid you get them wrong. Yeah, RoboBob, as a resident expert, uh, perhaps you could address this with a little bit more clarity. Well. I mean, you know, it's it's all an angles game. I would imagine a pouch has like two real angles and it's not going to look that different. But uh, a foot, depending on where you're looking at it from, it, it can look very, very different. And uh, I personally don't have feet. So, uh, <laughs> so this is all presumption. Yeah, he's like a size 14 tread. Right. Like... That's right. So okay, um, Tosh so, Tompkins, going back to, to good old stars and garters. Um, so not only is he arching like think tank on some level, right? They they arch think tank, but he also like in his spare time bullies Brown Widow, which is the grossest, most oh. accurate version of Spider Man I've ever seen in my life. Well, oh, and what I you. love about it is uh, the thing I hate about Sam Raimi's Spider Man. And I really enjoyed those movies as a kid, but then yeah. I realized like organic web shooters are gross. Is this right. coming out of you? <laughs> and then, you know, if you're going to go right. accurate like that, why would there be web shooters on his wrists? Those that's not where those things would end up. <laughs> no, no. Maybe it's part like maybe he tried fighting crime yeah. uh with his extra cloaca and yeah. it didn't work out so well and he's like you know i could use a couple more of these so he like recycles he just has like kind of a loom thing going up his back and down his <laughs> arms to his wrist. yeah yeah exactly well, the weaving well and my thing is like all right i'm all for haha you know accurate version of what spider-man would be you know he's got perfect spider pitch that's cool um but then you get that one scene with him like doing the Q-tip in the whole life. Oh, oh. oh. dude, it was, it was, it's still with me. I want you to know I had that in notes. Like it's like that scene in Looper. It just like stays the with notes. You. My my notebook reads: Brown Widow, Jared equals Spider Man equal Q-tip hole. <laughs> <laughs> okay and did you pick up on um this was actually a really sly comic book reference did you pick up on who billy's mom is no, no. i mean is she an no. analog well kind of now but not not so much right um so there's uh and i forget which episode it is exactly because i'm in the middle of preparing for other episodes but um it's a flashback with him and colonel gentleman having to fight their crushes and there's triple threat and she's zatanna well later on in gargantua mm -hmm. 2 uh miss whalen decides like she's had enough of it and she's going to whoop a little bit of ass with team venture and come to find out She's triple threat. Yeah. Mm. Uh -huh. I did not. Um, and that. like one of the few things I really enjoy about the DC universe um, as a comics reader has always been their magical element, the Justice League dark stuff. Um, so to see like a good Zatanna um, 
you know, reference, uh, you know, kind of, and like, I don't know if she has magical powers. Like when you say triple threat, we're not sure what that reference is. We just know like at one point she had a killer set of legs and like, you know, some sweet Taekwondo moves. Um, but her look is very much like modeled on Zatanna who has that kind of, uh, showgirl magician look, you know, um, but mm-hmm. while wielding actual the the lovely assistant as yeah the lovely assistant as right primary magician um wow. but yeah no that was a, a very sly little like put into to make billy's mom a superhero that's a a very interesting thing like i think billy would you know at first you give him the shock but he's it's totally stoked to find out like you know he comes from like super lineage yeah well, and of course, that also means that it's likely that Billy and Dr. Venture met very That's early. true. Is that something that has been yeah. explored? Uh, you know, I don't know. Um, I mean, of course, we saw the one picture of, like, you know, Doc and Monarch playing. Um, but we haven't seen, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, Doc and her little water baby. Um you know, no. <laughs> I think that that would be, I, I don't because again, like maybe that's why he wouldn't be around. Right. Is, you know, if he's spending a lot of time in the NICU and throwing up and cerebral fluid on his huge man sized head, like, yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine giving birth to that poor thing? Uh, I can barely imagine passing oh. a kidney stone. <laughs> and so right. uh, one thing I really uh, also enjoy is that Action Man finally gets to, like, you know, uh, have his crush late in life. Like, you know, they, they finally hook up. Right. Um, yeah. And Action Man is one of the... Some characters get the, the dual reference, right? So Stars and Garters, clearly a Captain America yep. reference. Um, and so, like, so is Action Man. Action Man is very much like the uh, World War II, uh, like, you know... I would say pre Cold War version of Captain America, right? Like, yeah. Well, he had the jumping juice. Yeah. And he <laughs> I was all hopped up on juice. jump juice, dude. And the war. <laughs> I mean, you've got like you get the impression that like he has done some terrible things. <laughs> he, he, yeah. <laughs> oh, Rodney yeah. shot a baby. <laughs> He was a goddamn werewolf. Like, (laughs) (laughs) oh god! Well, the first scene I ever saw him in was when he jumped on that guy and put both guns like right down the guy's collar, fired behind his. Dude, action, action, action! Oh, (laughs) what are you doing, Rodney? I'm winning the day. that some he- superheroes or, or characters have been split to more than one character in the Ventureverse. By the same token, there's one character that actually has at least two char- two superheroes in one. Um, and I don't think he starts out as either one. But uh, General Timothy Traster. You know? Yeah. He ends up with, that, uh, with the Iron Man uh, heart implant there which was oh so popular. Um, but then he starts making some pretty major claims there uh, later on. In <laughs> I think I'm a Hulk. Well, and not only that, he's a <laughs> Red Hulk. 
Yes, he is. Yeah. So he is like Thunderbolt Ross plus Bruce Banner plus Nick Fury. Teddy plus, Roosevelt. Uh, <laughs> Dude, like oh, that's yeah. what I love about <laughs> like, the, the central thesis of Timothy Tracer became like, what if Teddy Roosevelt was a Hulk? <laughs> what if come on pick any president who would be Dude. you know it's to you <laughs> oh yeah like uh, to me the like uh, the little like module is where he got shot doing his speech and then like or before he did his like two hour speech at the world's fair whatever it was <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and right. the, he got shot and then delivered his speech like I'll take care of that later. I'll be fine. Well, and uh, Traster is actually voiced by the same gentleman who played Artie in Pete and Pete. Yeah. Oh, yep. really? Yeah. Toby uh, Huss. You know what just occurred to me? Traster is pretty much just Trster. <laughs> like. Do you think that that was a conscious uh, choice? Okay, I, I'm not great on my Americana. Which head on Mount Rushmore is he? Is he the third head? Oh, I have no idea. I've never been. I'm aware that um, it exists, but uh, yeah. I, I couldn't. I couldn't speak to it because on Mount Rushmore you've got Washington, Jefferson, um, and then I, I, I'm going to look it up real quick. But Roosevelt I think, is I think four. Roosevelt because yeah. Lincoln's it's Washington, Jefferson, Lincoln. Well, I know that Roosevelt. there's four heads. Uh, actually, Roosevelt is tucked in. It's Washington, Jefferson, Roosevelt. Oh, tucked so in. he's the third one. Oh. He's the tray. He's the third. The traster. He <laughs> is the third. Yeah. <laughs> traster. Hey, hey, hey. Yep. And see, now we're. It's a learning. Now we're going to get all national too. treasure because it's like, oh, so they did that. Up. Oh, I wonder what else they did in secret back there. Is that where El Dorado is? <laughs> well, and. Uh, have you ever looked at a dollar <laughs> on weed? Oh, uh, man. So, all right. You were talking about Nick Fury, like Traster as a Nick Fury analog. Uh, I also submit that uh, Colonel Gentleman acts as a mild uh, Nick Fury analog in, you know, the, the old team venture. Dude, he is so Sean Connery to uh, me. Like, and that's clearly what he's based on. But you think that his function oh, yeah. as uh like in the original team venture was a spy master i mean like master more so like on Varys the more so balls? on the master tactician end because okay i mean he's pretty much like you know uh sean connery as john Steele, right, <laughs> right. i mean and I, I would watch that version of the avengers um right but yeah no uh i really think also you know that's that's why the eye patch is you have this like you know uh badass gentleman venture spy you know he's less of a g-man type you know he didn't come through like the the howling commandos per se you know he came through the double o program right but he's still kind of that you know master tactician of things like he even gets on to Rodney. he's like rodney what the hell are you doing like take it down a bit man like <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> um yeah and colonel gentlemen uh we are going we are going to have to i, I am misha? So looking forward, misha i'm so looking forward 
to our Colonel Gentleman exploration. Uh, we have talked about doing an entire Operation Prom extended episode because I think that that is one of the all-time oh. greatest like episodes of the Venture Brothers ever. Like it, it may be the a veritable apotheosis of cool for the Venture Brothers. Uh, but that's where we get Colonel Gentleman's shining moment, <laughs> and. <laughs> I, I don't I just, we're just going to save it we're just going to save it um, there is the, one of the other members of the original team venture who is just like an afterthought uh, I think he's gotten less play mm-hmm. than uh, uh, the Ant-Man analog but that is the uh, half fish guy like the Aquarius oh. guy Otto, Otto Aquarius yeah yeah he's uh, definitely like what Namor would really look like yeah like you know, uh, if you're if you if you're gonna you know put your dick in a mermaid, uh, <laughs> you're not going to get like a handsome supermodel with incidental gills on the side of his face. <laughs> no, no, that that is not how that works. I love how in the movies Atlanteans are just hot. It's like, oh yeah, we're the freaks, and the idea that one of them would love us, this cross species thing. That's like. If uh, well, actually, I'm afraid to follow this line of logic any further because <laughs> there's nothing I can say that is going to make it sound okay on a public podcast. <laughs> like it, it's just it, it just it oh, gets no. worse. So let's just stick with the metaphor they've given us, and it is not pretty. Uh, he is. Do you, do you remember the shape of water? Like <laughs> imagine that creature, but somehow like yeah. fleshier. And like, would he be like pink and fleshy and maybe slightly translucent, like gooey to the touch? Like there's no... You can go ahead and call it for what it is, Jason. You're dancing around the phrase, he's less hot. <laughs> <laughs> like, all right, I've seen, I've seen The Shape of Water. I've read some of these awkward Twitter reviews from very enthusiastic female viewers who are like, yes, please. And again, we're not yucking anybody's yums, but the thing you are dancing around is he is not the handsome version of that. He is the less hot. Like he is, he's the shape of brackish water. (laughs) Right. (laughs) He is the shape of bong water. The shape of bong water. (laughs) There's a a movie idea right there. (laughs) The shape of cesspool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Rob Liefeld is going to write that one. (laughs) <laughs> so we've got uh, we, we also brought up uh, the littlest po- and sometimes the biggest member of the Venture Squad. And that is Paul Entman, Entman, uh, who is clearly a giant man slash Ant-Man uh, parody in that uh, it, one of my favorite parts yeah. about this character is that he has the little bullhorn on top of his helmet so that he can be heard when he's small. And well, and I love that he gets into the quote unquote, like accuracy of talking to ants. Like, and if you could talk to ants, like, you know, it wouldn't be good. Like most of the time it's what are are they saying? Like, you know, uh, let's eat or have sucked have sex with this us size thing. Like, <laughs> he's very right. Woody Allen. <laughs> oh, right. What was that episode with Mother, uh, where he'd been trapped in there for how long? Like fifteen years, twenty years, forty like years. 
Oh, jeez. Yeah, and he didn't know that, like, you know, Jonas was dead. Um, and actually, this kind of goes into, like, you know, you start to see the kinds of relationships people have with Jonas, where he's like, you know, Jonas was my best friend. And how many times do you hear that? Like, Jonas was somebody's best friend, but Jonas is nobody's best friend. <laughs> no. Well, and that's also where you get a... Um, a good helping like of uh, the order of the triad and the order of the triad itself um, is actually a kind of a mild riff on uh, the midnight suns. Um, so Jefferson twilight is definitely blade. Um, and I love that he's more with of a black exploitation blade. Yeah. With a hearty helping of black exploitation. Like I just, it, those things work so well with this character like just the outfit like let's take shout combine him with blade and let's just kind of see what happens like richard (laughs) roundtree richard roundtree plus blade this is the blade movie you would have gotten in 1973 but it's richard roundtree in his 50s yeah (laughs) (laughs) like it's it's danny glover from <laughs> Lethal Weapon being too old for this shit. <laughs> like, Dude, so... Uh, and, and that's what I love about his relationship with Orpheus. Is like, Orpheus is still like, yeah, go to... He's like, no, number one, there is never a triad emergency. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where is my super suit? <laughs> <laughs> Would never come out of his mouth. Right, no. That is, that is a reference we can't pay for. Uh, on this show because we have zero budget (laughs) (laughs) so uh what else do we have um i feel like the uh uh we've got a couple of additional strong superhero references um we've got the uh radical left was one of the ones that I thought was such a brilliant depiction of this character. Oh, right wing and lat- and radical left. Yeah. <laughs> like, I loved that whole concept. Uh, it, of course, he's a reference to Two-Face, uh, but radical left has one side of his body disfigured. He's like, you know, a lot, just like Two-Face. And his two sides um, are radical ideas. So... Uh, I think we talked about this in an episode that will never air, but we talked about a game that I'd gotten called Wavelengths, right? And it's this game. It's, it's a party game. The premise is pretty simple. There is a point somewhere on a, on a graph, a chart, a, uh, I forget what you call it, like a meter. What do you call the, the actual display portion of like an altimeter or whatever. Like it's the portion of that where you see the little dial moving across the face. And it, it's, you know, either dead center or kind of to the left of center or all the way to the left of center or to the right of center by a little bit or all the way in the middle or, you know. And you've got to draw a card and the card gives you an idea. And you have to get the person you're working with to guess exactly where that little needle is on the meter by giving them a reference related to the card you drew. So I could set that meter and then I pick the card and the card might say authoritarianism 
versus democracy. And I have to give a reference to this person that they would completely understand. And that reference, you know, it's like, okay, how do I get you to pick this exact spot on this dial by making that reference? And I feel like radical left would be great at this game. (laughs) Well, and I love that in the, uh, the terminus mandate, um, when they're all doing their final arches, you know, before assembling, like, you know, the, the council, like he is his own arch enemy. (laughs) Like, you know, just, he was like, just don't try to absorb me this time. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I love the episode where we meet him uh, in mama's boys. Um, And that's when you meet some of the, the more obscure like DC references, like Mr. Monday is a reference to calendar man. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've <laughs> Which, also, by the way, Garfield really hates Mr. Monday. Right. Um, we've also got a character oh, voiced yeah. by Mark Hamill. Who did Mark Hamill voice famously, along with uh, in the original Batman the Animated Series, where Tim Conroy made his name? Not Tim Conroy, Kevin. Or Conroy. Kevin Conroy, not Tim Conroy. Uh, oh, yeah. No, sorry, he was definitely the Joker. Yeah. Well, and he was the Joker, and he played. Uh, well, what was his character's name? Because he was more like a, a, a Mr. Mixoplex type, yeah, almost. He was Presto yeah. Changeo. He was the shape. Presto yeah, Changeo, the yeah. Changing clown, played by, uh, voiced by Mark Hamill. Uh, he he was like kind of like Plastic Man. Uh, do you remember? Do you remember Caleb? You used to live with us. Caleb? Oh, the phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, the phenomenon. Uh, Caleb, he loved. Plastic Man. That was his favorite comic book. I always thought... I kind of... You know what? I kind of get that now. Um, My clones have me on a pretty strict cartoon regiment, which I I love dearly most of the time. Um, And one of the the outstanding things that they've picked is uh, Justice League Action. And you actually have uh, Dana Snyder, who voices the Alchemist, and he voices Plastic Man. Nice! Yeah, yeah, it's really fun. Um, but yeah, no, uh, and having Mark Hamill, um, you know, playing a, another like you know comic book esque supervillain is always a pleasure. Um, he kind of you know you could hear him hit the tones of Joker in his voice, and yeah, I mean he's he looks like Mister Mixelplex, but he comes off more as Mister Plastic, like, and he turns into these weirdly mundane objects like you know a hand truck or a stair stepper. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Dude, and hitting, like, dude, <laughs> that is the best, weirdest. When we do, uh, when we get around to our, our Brock block, which uh, we're going to start recording um, after we, we finish this up, um, that is definitely going to be one of the deaths that comes up uh, in, in, like, the top five, like, all-time greatest, like, Brock slaying. <laughs> <Right. Like, laughs> yeah, he turns into the stair stepper, and Brock's like, you know, oh, this is dumb, and just stabs him in the head. <laughs> <laughs> oh dude uh and and to mark hamill's credit like that dude Uh. has voiced so many characters in so many properties i mean in in many and how many times has he died now like is he giving sean bean a run for his money oh god i mean sean bean is taking like lessons from mark hamill um (laughs) (laughs) well and he also had a second voice um, as as one of the the masked gentlemen in the uh, 
eyes wide shut style sex. Oh club. yeah, with uh, with the teleporter. Yeah, was it a unicorn in captivity? Yeah, dude, the end. The <laughs> uh-huh. end of- Look at the unicorn. He's happy. He's safe. The end of that episode was. <laughs> It was very Japanese. It was sure. You know what else was very Japanese? The Giver. Uh, dude, highly underrated, like sci-fi property. But we'll talk about that. Also, later. a Mark Hamill film. Yes, yes, it was. Wow. Yeah, that's why I figured I'd full circle that right wow. there. <laughs> All right. Um, what else we got? Speaking of Japanese, um, there is uh, one character that showed up along with the original, or the, uh, I guess the first uh, Wonder Boy. Um, there was also in a uh, a four. Oh yeah, Astro group, Boy, Row Boy, dude. Oh yeah, he gets adopted by yeah. Doctor Z. Z and Mrs. Doctor Z, and of course, uh, in that same episode, we got like the older Hardy Boys. <laughs> <laughs> The the yep. Hardy Menendez boys. <laughs> Only like... mystery they never solved. Oh man! Oh dude, and the the one yeah the the one. There. Oh dude, yeah, and and the who's a Patton Wonder Oswald? Boy. Yeah, Patton Oswald was doing the the former Wonder Boy for who for legal reasons can no longer yeah. call himself Wonder Boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh. You know, so one of the things. Like just that whole that that whole episode uh, was such a little like surprise in its own way because that episode felt like it, the characters grew up a little, right? Like it, it's not very often that you see character yeah. development. Uh, dude, that scene where he's got like the the native hand puppet. It's like, did you ask <laughs> the native his name? What's your name? Substance abuse. See what I did there. <laughs> <laughs> uh and like what i love about that episode is uh you know me i'm all about like you know uh holistic connections like you know uh call me dirk gently that way right right um and i really love that like the support group shows you exactly how pervasive the trope of like you know sidekick boy adventurer is <laughs> right. like how many genres it really spans mm-hmm. like you know where where this really goes and exactly how much of this the venture brothers can tap into there is, like that one episode is a great cross-section of like everything they touch there's so much to tap into well and really guys i'm going to be honest with you uh that's kind of the end of my notes um so you know we're coming to the uh the point where we're really going to have to sit down and do some more hardcore uh comics research for comics 102 um coming up uh because it, it's just it's there's, there's just so much um the the daredevil um guy and i forget <laughs> his name because they only said it like once uh it was like uh it wasn't like nose blind or something <laughs> like that. but yeah like that whole scene with uh well, like, you know, the peril partnership and like threatening him. And he's like, you know, talking about how he can, you know, he could smell her menses and all this weird <laughs> stuff. And then like Red Death really just like has a sincerely terrifying moment with him. Yeah. Oh, and one thing I do want to talk about Red that Death? I really loved. 
Well, yeah, Red Death kills yeah, him. Yeah, but, um, we but no, no, one... talked about Red Death. Bl- oh, Blind Rage. Blind, Blind Rage, Rage. That's his name. Yes. Is that his name? Well, okay. And who who's Red Death? I mean, obviously, aside from the the Grim Red Reaper and, and the biblical form, right? Red Skull, fair enough. Like, without the fascist element, yeah. it's really hard for me to recognize Red like, Skull. What if Red <laughs> What if Red Skull was just and a family man? Yeah. Well, they also they did a thing when that flashback, uh, when it was the, the dark, uh, I forgot if they called it the dark age or what, but Red Skull actually supposedly had the same jacket that Ghost Rider wore during that time. So he was, you know, he supposedly back then he might have been a reference yeah. to Ghost yeah, Rider. Yeah. Well, I mean, at the very Red least, Skull. you would go to the same tailor. Like, if you're Red Skull and you're looking at Ghost Rider, it's like, yeah. your guy has a good look going on for you. Dude, it's like Red Skull, <laughs> Ghost Rider, and what? what's the demon's name? Erdogan? Etrigan? Etrigan. Yes. Um. One of my favorite uh, newer newer comic book references, uh, season seven, was Mission Creep. <laughs> like he's pretty much the comic book mercenary, and like when I say the comic book mercenary, which one? All of them. Uh, I mean, with with little exception, like he's Deadshot, Taskmaster, Deathstroke, <laughs> Deadshot, like, uh, uh, oh, d- Bloodshot! Yeah, wow. And I actually still haven't caught that yet. Uh, you know, but that's it, again most Vin Diesel movies. Well, here's the thing, man. You know what? And it is real easy to kind of overlook stuff like this. And unfortunately, that movie had a very unfortunate release date. Um, but that being said, totally watchable. Uh, you know, it, and uh, as far as the character itself goes, um, it feels like a product of its time in that like it, it there's parts of it that feel kind of like late 80s early 90s like the character development itself feels like that but it also could be more contemporary because these are things that we still have like the nanobots are things that we still haven't figured out yet it's still the future and it's interesting right. when things from the past are still the future and i think we, we actually spoke about this earlier today with uh jack parsons and bucky fuller and walt disney um you know like these visions that have dramatically impacted not just science fiction and the development of popular thought about these things, but also actual science and how the world has developed since their time because of their impact. Like, and that's a whole episode in and of itself. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. And we, we definitely plan to, to look uh, to do the, the futurist episode. Um, because that obviously has a, a super heavy influence on on the Venture Brothers, you know, aesthetic attitude. Um, I mean, it has everything to do with, you know, the catchphrase for our podcast. Right. Uh, because the future is wow. Yeah. Um, now, sometimes wow isn't always good. <laughs> like when, you know, somebody would say, hey, you're going to live through a global pandemic. I'm like, oh, the future is wow. Uh, or Wow. <laughs> That's a uh, that's a Cambodian two step pit viper, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's a made up snake. <laughs> uh, 
Um, one other thing that we haven't really worked in, and part of me wonders if we even should, we've been talking about comics, and I feel like there is also an entire separate episode that we could do on toys. And there are a couple of things that may as well be both. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and just kind of put a little pin in this with OSI and Sphinx. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. And well, you know what? We can touch on a little bit of that because I do, in fact, own some some G.I. Joe comic books. Um, but yeah, no, that's, uh, that, that's almost like a, a whole broad thing unto itself because they're again, going just so deep into to so many of the references and again, pun names, man. Uh, like GI Joe was just rife with pun names. Yes. <laughs> and so like, yeah, it was almost an inevitable shoe in with like, you know, the, the Ed Lundian, you know, universe that, you know, uh, McCullough and, uh, well, I'm sorry. Well, I mean, not use his proper name. Uh, that uh, you know, Public and Hammer have really set up for us. Um, well, and we see it all over the place. Like with OSI versus uh, Sphinx, it's kind of like Shield versus Hydra, GI Joe versus Cobra. Like you've got these, you know. Well, they even go out of their yeah. way to like. There's a helicarrier. Yeah. You know, baby girl. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there is like, you know, uh, a weird, you know, uh, if, if you're really into comics, if you're tertiarily into comics, you would have seen it as kind of a small Iron Man shout out, um, the, the strength suit. Yeah. But, you know, if you're really into comics, it's more of a rescue shout out. Yeah. Like when Pepper Potts has her, uh, her suit of armor, <laughs> you know what I mean? I loved that whole section where Hank has been wearing the suit. <laughs> and he finally gets pulled out of it and his muscles have atrophy. And he's yeah, so he smells weird. So <laughs> Dude, and he's having to walk on the treadmill and he has like these weird like almost like atrophy like it, they, if you can imagine FDR doing it, uh you wow. know doing pt that joke is lamer than fdr's legs too soon oh, oh. um you know what we <laughs> haven't seen uh which i think is kind of interesting have we seen a thanos analog a thanalog if you will mm, not that i've been able to point out but again um what i'm noticing a lot with uh their taste in comics um most of it's very Silver Age comics. Mm -hmm. um, again, going to uh, one of Brock's, uh, you know, uh, assassin nemesis that pop up, Latour. You know, he talks about like, you know, he's a Silver Age Batman collector. He like, collects Silver Age comics yeah. and stuff. And he likes Batman because they have the best abilities. Yeah. You know, Excelsior. Um, and no, you really get a good sense of like they really enjoy the Silver Age. Yeah, and but then, Thanos, you know, Thanos is a dark side copy. Like Thanos is ripped off of Jack Kirby's dark side. Yeah, but at the same time, I don't get the impression these guys really dig a lot of like the quote unquote Jim Shooter era. Yeah. When you moved into like, you know, the the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Um I mean, in fact, you can tell because the 80s comics that they reference, that's when it's almost like, uh, do you feel like these guys were 
maturing into their own scenes. Like now we're getting out of their childhood yeah. and we're getting into their adolescence. Do we have a, you know, their teenagers. Do we have a Dr. Octopus analog? Actually, we do uh, early on for about just a few oh, minutes. Oh, yeah. But what about? Uh, yeah. Well, there's Septipus. And then Dr. later Dr. on, um, when Gary's doing his stint as Kano, there's Wandering Spider. <laughs> right. Uh, All right. Um, are, are there any other characters that we yes, need Jason. to find? <laughs> like, because I feel like I'm trying to run through the big ones here. Uh, we, we haven't gotten a Green Lantern per se, have we? There's no, no. And I was actually thinking about that um, because the gags for that could be infinitely right? like, <laughs> rewarding. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, oh, interestingly enough. All right. So you have Fat Chance, right? Uh, Marvel yeah. is rolling out a new uh, set of new warriors. And one of the characters, I want to say her name is like Backpack. <laughs> um, she basically has she's fat you know, the same with thing. a backpack. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> that, that's <laughs> that's good, grown up. I salute thee, sir. <laughs> yeah, that's that. Wow. Yes, I, I, that is the best possible place to end this episode on. <laughs> well, uh, with that being said, uh, gentlemen, do you have anything else you'd like to add? Okay, actually, uh, one thing All I right. would love to add, uh, and this was from a, a gentleman on Twitter. Uh, give me just a moment while I pull this up, because it was amazing, and I actually wanted to reference it, and it's perfect to kind of close out this episode. Um, so I've started poking around on the Twitterverse, and there are seriously like 12 people in the whole wide world who are tweeting about Venture Brothers like on, on the regular. And that breaks my heart. But they're a good group of people. And uh, one of these guys is uh, Michael Chow. And he goes on to say that Venture Brothers is the only show that gets away with being so reference heavy because it's all covered by the central thesis. The show is, I'm sorry, covered by the thesis of the show, which is Nostalgia is a Prison. A prison? And, uh, <laughs> nostalgia is a prison. Um, and I, you know, and I get that. Like, uh, it's not what allows people to move forward. Um, that's what makes for good characters here is actually, like, we're not looking for typical character progression. Like, we're looking for, you know, again, subversion of expectation when it comes to character development. Right? But the fact that we can even have this episode you know, is so pointed, like, you know, that dude hit the nail right on the head. Like, you know, the fact that the references are so important to the Venture Brothers, um, because, again, that's the whole point of, of the Venture Brothers is showing you how, like, you know, it's dangerous to get caught up into just, you know, the one section of your life and never moving forward. So I, I, I'm going to I'm going to 
riff right. on this for just a second. All right. So one of the things about nostalgia, um, the first time I encountered the word was on the bag from a place called Comic Carnival in Indianapolis, Indiana on 10th and Midhopper. And the first time I got it, I remember looking at the bag and I walked into the guy behind the counter. I was like, what's nostalgia? And he's like, nostalgia. I was like, no, no, this word, nostalgia. And he's like, nostalgia. I was like, no, no, this word. And eventually I gave up because he kept trying to explain it to me. And I was nine and wasn't going to get it. So uh, years have gone by. And of course, you know, nostalgia comes from the Greek, meaning essentially the pain of returning home. And this past summer, I took Ha One back to Indianapolis to show him some of the places I used to run around, right? I wanted to show him and walk with him through the woods that I spent so much time in with people like Uncle Kyle, right? Uh, you know, well, my brother Kyle, but the boy's Uncle Kyle. And like when I got back there, all of those woods were gone and were now homes yeah. and neighborhoods. And it hurt. Yeah. Like it was one of those moments where you truly understand that nostalgia literally means pain. Yep. And that's one of the things that is, I don't want to say problematic about the way that the word is used. It's like uh, my wife and I get into, I tease her all the time about how people will say the data is instead of the data are. Like these data are. Data is plural, but nobody uses it like that. Right. And it's kind of the same way with nostalgia. It's come to mean something treasured from an earlier time in your life that you hold on to, that is a reference point that you can jump back in on at pretty much any moment and still have a lot of enthusiasm for. But the word as it has traditionally been defined is one of pain. And, you know, for lack of a better word, pathos, like there's a pathos to nostalgia, right? And you're seeing elements of that. Like nostalgia is a prison in the sense that it is something you can't necessarily escape from because you can't, like, if it hurts you, it's something that you could be hurt by, which is something close to you, right? Let's say, what was it uh, Polonius said? Like, you know, the, you know how you say the only hurt the ones you love, well, it works both ways, right? right. Yeah. Here it is. Like, here is something that hurts you. And it is, is it because of that hurt that you embrace it even more, which is, you know, to some degree, is that what we're seeing play out in the Venture Brothers? Or do you think his reference was something a little bit, you know, more um, topical in the sense that these pop culture references, these elements, these items that you're holding on to, like Dr. Venture's box of treasures are these things that, you know, that nostalgia in the sense of, oh, these are things from my past that I treasure. These are the guys who peaked in high school. Ah, well, I mean, really, uh, to me, it's more, you know, kind of nostalgia in terms of, uh, you know, expectation, right? Like, um, Rusty Venture gets by a lot on the reputation of his father, even though people know exactly who he is now. You know, what was it like? Why did you take a meeting with us? 
Why did you take a meeting with us? We tried to get Dean into college. Why did you take a meeting with us? Oh, and my secretary said a Dr. Venture was here to see me. I thought it was your brother. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, so, I mean, like, in this sense, I, I get very much it's a, it's a bittersweet thing. You know, it's very much, you know, simultaneously Uncle Rico from uh, Napoleon Dynamite, like, you know, yearning for high school football days. You know, I can throw this football over the mountain. Mm-hmm. But also, like, you know, the fact that, like, Doc is haunted by the reputation, like, you know, the shadow of his father. His father's dead, but still cast a shadow over him. Like, he'll never match up to that man, no matter how hard he tries. So, like, nostalgia for him is both a weird fondness and a pain. Like, that's that's why I, you know, level with Rusty Venture. Uh, on on a few wavelengths, right? Is because like we're both emotional masochists. <laughs> well, and every character on that show, I mean, they've they've had, you know, their their days in the sun, and they're still going. You know, like the episode is in. <laughs> the the idea is, you know, kind of what you'd mentioned like earlier about. Oh, with the Teen Titans Go, it's what they're doing on the weekends between the episodes. But I think right. by this stage of the game, I, I, I think by this stage of the game with the venture folks, they're, you know, the world is still moving and they're they're in it. Um, but they're not in it the way they thought they'd be. And they're not in it the, the grand, glorious way that they want to be. But they, they, they still want to be. And, and that's kind of where I'm having a little bit of dissonance in trying to reconcile this concept. In that, like, they desperately want to be. They, they you know, Rusty Venture had his day in the sun. Billy Quizboy never did. Well, actually, yes, he did. He was the, the golden quiz child. Yeah. Pete White, he was the quiz way. boy. Yeah, he was the quiz boy. Um, uh, you know, uh, and you're seeing them fight for relevance again right like look at orpheus organizing the order of the triad again yeah right he's still trying to live up to the outrider you know what i mean well i mean and and going back to kind of touching on the the quote-unquote like rock and roll mentality of venture brothers i mean to me the the lesson of the venture brothers is you know again kind of tying it back into a a comic book reference here right it's like that line from uh, The Dark Knight, you know, you either die a hero or you live long enough to be a villain. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's kind of like a, a smaller version of that. Right. Uh, well, I guess the rock and roll version is, you know, uh, is it better to burn out or fade away? Yeah. Right. And Jonas Venture died on top. You know what I mean? Yeah. At least like, he at didn't least have a chance to fade away. Die young. Stay pretty. Leave a leave a pretty corpse. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know that this is necessarily the answer that he was hoping to get from his tweet, but uh, it certainly sparked a whole lot of probably far deeper thought into the subject matter than I thought I was going to give it. Right. <laughs> yeah, and that's what Venture Brothers does to you. Well, yeah, You thought I you were just really... watching for some chuckles and some see-through skin, some Fantastic Four jokes, and then next thing you know, you know you're arching your brother. Like, you know, um, 10 years later. <laughs> would you say that Ned has a Fantastic Four skin? <laughs> oh. 
Oh man, you have to like perform that bris with like bolt cutters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel bad for making that joke. Uh, also, uh, Doctor Z qualified to uh, perform a bris. Just in case, <laughs> right? <laughs> he's he's got his Doctor No laser. Uh, <laughs> right. All right. Well, I think that unfortunately draws us to whatever conclusion this was going to be. Uh, thank you guys so much for coming to join us for our inaugural uh, Learning Bed episode. And uh, if you, of course, have anything you'd like to share with us, we would love to hear from you. And I'd like to thank uh, the gentleman who wrote in earlier. And one more time, what was his name? Michael Chow. Michael Chow. You, sir, are a scholar. And a gentleman, we appreciate the heck out of your attention. Excellent. Well, once again, my name is Brock Savage. With me, this episode has been my longtime companion, Beast Lamode, and we are joined by our long lost robot pal, Robo Bob. Thank you guys so much for coming out to join us. Have a great rest of your whatever. And go Team Venture. Go Team Venture. We have got to get better at this. Because <laughs> I feel I'm like I was better. the only one holding my fingers up. Uh, I was holding them up on the inside. Warriana's going to be reaching out to you shortly. <laughs> RoboBob has uh, like Lego Man hands. It's weird. <laughs> Uh, and with that said, good night, good everybody. Night. Conjectural Technologies is hosted, researched, and produced by Professor Brock Savage, Beast LaMode, and RoboBob. Additional research provided by associate producer Audrey Hartburn. Audio engineering by BrickFrog. Reach out to us on Twitter at conjecttech underscore pod or by email at conjecturaltechpodcast at gmail.com. Special thanks to Jackson Public and Doc Hammer, without whom we would not be here. And as always, thanks for listening, and go Team Venture! <laughs>